My text is found in Isaiah, or it's taken from Isaiah chapter 53, so you can turn there while I tell you a little story. Um, do you notice anything, anything different about me? Well, of course we do, you slob. You haven't got your ties cinched up. Well, let me tell you why it's not cinched up, okay? <laughs> um, you know, I just came back from India, which I would love to tell you more about, but we'll do that next Wednesday night. If you're interested in hearing about the, the uh, experience in India, I'll do that Wednesday night. Uh, on the way back, I flew my wife over, and she and I spent five days together in Paris, which was wonderful. But we came back on separate flights, and I was stuck in um, Dulles, uh, a hotel outside of uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, slept, went to bed that night and slept. Got up the next morning looking forward. It was in the Missy Suites, and I was looking forward to breakfast and walked down. And, um, <laughs> and I, I don't even know exactly what happened, but I slipped and fell face forward. I mean, just planted my face in the ground and apparently tried to catch my, um, my fall or break my fall with my elbows. I have shattered an elbow um, I have the picture here for you who have strong stomachs and would like to see it. Um, it is really gross. It's not bloody. It's just so swollen. It's, in fact, the, the girls in the emergency room said, well, I've never seen anything like that before. <laughs> but you medical types, if you'd like to see something that the medical field there had never seen before, here, here it is. I'll show it to you afterwards. But Anyway, um, apparently, uh, it, at least according to the emergency room doc, I am facing surgery to fix this elbow. Um, I, I'll see a specialist on Tuesday morning, and he'll tell us where we're going to go. And, but that's, that's why I'm favoring this elbow. Where I just stretch it out, uh, you've never heard a scream uh, like that. I have a, I have a, a sling, but it just gets in the way. Um, so we're not gonna, my wife gave me permission not to wear it uh, for now. So that's the story. Um, it's just an accident. It's, bless God, it's an elbow. It's not a hip. It's not a knee. It's not a head uh, like the Clintons are dealing with. And uh, anyway, so if you see me favoring it, and that's why the reason I don't have my tie cinched up <laughs> is that I can't get my hand up there. Um, so this is the best I can go. This is as far as I can go. You know, it does say in the Bible, in, in, in James chapter 3, uh, for we all stumble in many ways. Um, and so I've been studying that passage for the last 48 hours, and I've decided that it's just aimed at people over 70. Uh, that's not true. But that's what this is. It's nothing but an accident, and I'm the, the, the bad part about it is that Susie was not there with me. And so getting back was horrible. But we, we made it. And um, it'll get fixed and life will go on. There it is. Now, follow. As I read, um, a portion of God's word that is inerrant and infallible and inspired. It's out of Isaiah chapter 53, beginning at verse 1. I'll read three verses. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this endures forever. My wife um, teaches a um, Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. That's why she's not here the first hour. Uh, she teaches second grade girls on Sunday morning. But about a year ago, she was teaching fourth grade girls. And um, the curriculum of, um, of the class called for there to be a 10-week study on the Ten Commandments. That's a nice thing to do, study the Ten Commandments. Ten weeks set aside to study the Ten Commandments. Um, but it was um, more, more complicated than, than may, uh, may you, you may at first think. For instance, how do you teach a, a room full of fourth-grade girls about the Seventh Commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Um, there were easier ones. The, um, the Ninth Commandment was pretty easy. Um, Thou shalt bear no false witness, that is, don't tell lies. And what fourth-grade little girls never told a lie? In fact, how many of us, I mean, uh, how about you too? I mean, all of us understand what it means to, to violate that ninth commandment. But the interesting thing um, that I think we both discovered is that the most difficult commandment of all of them to teach, I wonder which one you'd guess, the most difficult commandment for her to teach was the second one. Commandment number two. And you all know what the second commandment is. It reads like this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. <clears throat> no likenesses. <laughs> now, guys, that's a problem. That's a problem uh, in evangelicalism. Because all of us have seen pictures of um, Jesus somewhere. You, you, you know, um, you've seen the ones where he's got the long hair and, and the rosy cheeks and the, the masculine build and the handsome features, kind of the Ryan Gosling look, you know. Um, there's another uh, thing that's similar to that. It's not the same thing. But, but have you ever heard people say... Um, well, you know, God's got a good sense of humor. Where'd you, where'd you hear that? Do you know that in the New Testament, Jesus is never recorded as laughing? He's never recorded as smiling. He is recorded as experiencing joy and rejoicing, but never, never laughing. He's no court jester. Where'd you get that? Well, I think all of that comes, is generated out of the fertile imaginations of artists and, and um, book publishers and Sunday school curriculum authors, which have produced in our minds um, a, a mental picture as to what Jesus looks like, how tall he is, and how he was shaped. What does he look like in your mind? Um, and so what we have here is 
Sunday school curriculum teaching us about the second commandment by violating the second commandment. (laughs) We don't get portraits of Jesus in the Bible. Except this one. The closest thing to a portrait of Jesus Christ in the Bible is found in Isaiah 53. And it really is only a half of a verse. This is, this is all we get. This is all the information. This is all the data we have concerning what Jesus looked like. Look at verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Here it is. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He wasn't a head-turner, ladies and gentlemen. <coughs> Pardon me. He wasn't a, he wasn't a good-looks kind of guy. There, there is one other indicator about his appearance. It's in John chapter 7. Um, I think it's John 8, where Jesus is in dialogue with, um, with the Pharisees, and, and Jesus makes a statement about... Um, uh, Before Abraham's day, I mean, Abraham saw me and rejoiced and was glad. Abraham saw me. And the reply was, wait a minute, wait a minute, young man, you're not yet 50. How can you say that about Abraham saw your day? Now, he said that when he was 31. Hey, you 31-year-olds out there, how would you like somebody to say, hey, you know, you don't look a day younger than 50? Well, that's an indication of what he may have looked like. But the only words that are given about his physical appearance are these. They are um, no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Now, gang, that's somewhat of an overview of this of these three verses, because I wanted to remind you that when I spoke about this two or three weeks ago, I told you that this section is one of the suffering songs, the servant songs of, of the book of Isaiah. This is the fourth of four. But this one starts back in chapter 52 at verse 13. You may recall I said that. And it starts like this. Behold my servant. It's an invitation, ladies and gentlemen. It's an invitation to take a look. I want you to look at my servant. Here he is. Look at him. Behold, my servant. I want you to look at him. But there is not one word in here about good looks and a good personality. But what we do have, ladies and gentlemen, if there is one particle of love for Jesus Christ in your heart, you cannot help but be moved by what is said here. Now, um, it ought not surprise you that as 
God calls for our attention to take a look. It starts with a question. It's a rhetorical question, verse 1. Who has believed what they have heard from us? And the implied answer is nobody. Nobody's believed that. And not only that, who would believe in a guy like this anyway? And so somewhat predictably, the the overwhelming response to this servant who is being portrayed and described here, the overwhelming response is to reject him. Folks, there is nothing to compare in the Old or New Testament to this passage right here that gives us a, a, a description of Christ and the response to that Christ in, in, as, um, as a result of the description of him. This is what he looks like. This is who he is. Well, I don't want to have anything to do with him. He was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, why does Jesus meet with such rejection? Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are lots of reasons, but one of them that we know to be true is that Israel was looking for their Messiah. They still are. Israel, is, as you know, geopolitically, was under the cruel domination of the Roman government. They wanted to get rid of their oppressors, and so they were looking for a Messiah. They wanted somebody to come in there who had big biceps and, and, and wielded a very strong sword and get rid of these Romans just to gather the troops, rally the opposition. Let's, let's fight these Romans and get them out of here. Man, we can't wait for that guy to show up. But instead of him, here's what they got. Verse 2, he was like a root out of dry ground. Let me say that again. He was like a root out of dry ground. Could anything be deader than that? I mean, folks, if we're walking down the sidewalk and we see a root that's out of the ground, but it's dry ground anyway, we kick it to the side. Um, you know, maybe in his early days, he, would, he was a young plant and there, there was a bit of promise, but not anymore. He's a, he's a root out of dry ground. It's worthless. It's valueless. It's useless. Just shove it aside. We're looking for a Messiah, all right, but that one doesn't qualify. But gang, in addition to that, that there was no comeliness or beauty to him. His whole background, which is not mentioned in this text, but it is mentioned in the Bible elsewhere. His whole background was suspect. You know, he came from Nazareth. Uh, Messiahs don't come from Nazareth. Nathaniel said that in John 1. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And not only does his hometown not much, but his paternity was even questioned. You know that, don't you? 
Well, Mary, uh, she was pregnant before her marriage. Uh-huh. And you know, what I think is, you know, the, the real father was a Roman soldier. You know that's, that's, that, that sentence in the New Testament that talks about, um, is this not Mary's son? That's not a compliment, ladies and gentlemen. That's an innuendo. Isn't this Mary's son, you know, the one that his father, we don't know who it was. <laughs> his own family didn't even embrace him initially. Find it in John 7. He's just got the wrong background. He's got the wrong look. He comes from the wrong city. He's got the wrong paternity. He's, incon- he's inconsequential. He's insignificant. He has no physique for this even. <clears throat> he just doesn't look like a Messiah. There's no form. There's no beauty. And, and by the way, Where are the pictures portraying him like that? I haven't seen any of those. But I have seen those ones that make him look like Ryan Gosling. Ladies and gentlemen, in a world where image is everything, Jesus needed an image consultant. He just doesn't look messianic. His clothes were shabby. There was nothing regal about him. No charisma, no charm, no magnetism. He's got the wrong personality. He's got the wrong parentage. He comes from the wrong town. This guy will never sell. But on the other hand, that Judas guy, (laughs) now that's a sharp cookie. Got a good financial mind. He's good with books. I mean, he's on his way. He's He's got a bright future. So I asked a moment ago, why did he meet with such rejection? That's at least part of it. He was despised and rejected by men, and we esteemed him not. You know, guys, I would suggest that that was true of every person in this room at one point in your life. Or maybe still is right now. I mean, uh, I, I, I've heard about this option of Christianity. I mean, I've, I, you know, I've been around a little bit. I, but, you know, um, but it's just not beautiful before, uh, to me. I'll tell you what it is. The world is really, what the world offers is really beautiful. <laughs> now, that's beautiful. That is a, a root out of dry ground. You want me to give my life to a root out of dry ground? Is that what you're asking me? No, 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 not me, not this fella. Or, or maybe we esteemed ourselves more than we esteemed something, somebody like this. You know, the love of self. And you know what? Self and Savior can't live in the same heart. Can't sit on the same throne. Or maybe it was we just didn't see a need for him. So with that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, here's the question before the house. Why have any of us come to love him? You see, ladies and gentlemen, the question is not why 
why hasn't everybody received Christ? The question is, why has anybody received Christ? We're holding on to a root out of dry ground. And we're banking our eternity on him. Maybe I should ask it like this. Not so much why, but how. How does anybody look at this and see a world that looks at Jesus and in the majority rejects him, but we've come to adore him. How did that happen? Not why doesn't everybody believe in him? Why does anybody? The answer is in the text. It's in verse 1. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You see it? You know, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have time for an English lesson here, but that's a, that's a passive verb. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Do you know the difference in an active and a passive verb? You know, um, uh, I shaved this morning. It's awfully difficult shaving with my left hand, but I've I've done it. Um, That's an active verb. I shaved this morning. But after this surgery, I bet you, uh, you know, Susie may have to come in and shave me. And And that means that I was shaved by Susie. So the action was performed on me. Not by me. The action was not performed by me. I shaved. It was performed on me. It's a, it's a passive verb. Gang, this is a passive verb in verse 1. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let me give you some illustrations. Do you remember the one in, in Matthew chapter 16? Um, and by the way, those of you who are going to Israel, you're going to see this spot the spot where apparently this conversation took place, where um, <coughs> Jesus says to the 12, he says, um, hey, uh, fellas, so tell me, who is it that men say that I am? And um, they say, well, you know, some say that you're uh, John the Baptist raised from the dead, and the other says you're a great prophet, and, you know, just various opinions. And then he, then he turns on him and he says, but who do you say? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, way to go, Peter. That Peter, <laughs> that Peter's just sharper than all the rest. He's just the sharpest knife in the, in the drawer, and he, he got it figured out. Does your Bible say that? It doesn't. Let me tell you what it does say. It says, uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did, has not revealed this to you. Did you hear that? Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my Father, who is in heaven, he revealed it to you. You know, if you look at that root out of dry ground and you call him your Savior, you know that's happened to you too, don't you? There's another example. There's several, but another example out of uh, Acts chapter 16 you remember Paul was on this, his second missionary journey and he comes to Philippi 